This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Let's go, Brandon! You have never experienced anything like what you're about to experience here today. Five, four, three, two, one. Action! We need to talk! You had better start talking to me now. For every American, this has to be the proudest day of our lives. And you keep coming back to personal attacks on me. Do you think it's a great success what's happened what? so far? Do you think you, lockdowns you have said, good for our kids? Do you think we slowed down the death rate? More people have died now under President Biden than did under President Trump. Right. Do you think it's a uh, winning success what you've advocated for government? Th this happens all the time. You personally attack me. And with absolutely not a shred of evidence of anything you say. They're killing people. I mean, they really, look, the only pandemic we have is among the unvaccinated. And they're, and they're killing people. I'm triple vaxxed, still got COVID. You're triple vaxxed, still got COVID. Why is the president still referring to this as a pandemic of the unvaccinated? Well, I, I think, Peter, there's a significant difference that there will be breakthrough cases. There will be people who get COVID. So I'm all vaccinated. I'm all boosted. He goes, it doesn't matter. I'm so tired of being tired and afraid of this. I am. I think we all have got to figure out how we can live our lives and navigate it. And so help me. I would much rather run down Times Square buck naked than go back home. Buck naked. Now let's dive into this week's edition of what in God's name is Joe Biden trying to say? <laughs> I'm going to be somewhat short today because shortly you're going to hear a helicopter landing outside the wheel here. Jack Riccardi, 4 till 7, News Talk 550, KTSA, and FM 1071. Good afternoon. Welcome to our dreadful little show. Jack Riccardi on San Antonio's News Talk Station 550 and 1071, KTSA. Where were you in 1982? Where were you? In 82, I was a junior in high school. I had giant moose out hair. And my entire body was about the width of my arm now. <laughs> That's where I was in 1982. Where were you in 1982? We learned today that inflation is at a level. This is comparing a month, for a, a particular month. In this case, these are the December numbers. Year to year, so December 2021 compared to December 2020. And inflation went up 7%, and that's the worst increase in inflation in 40 years since 1982. Now, over the course of the year, wages went up a little. But when you put inflation in the mix, you and I have less money. Our paychecks got smaller. We are stretching what we earn harder uh, to cover our, our basics. Um, to give you an idea of how far back 1982 was, here was the number one song in 1982. I mean, there's people in their 30s and 40s like, what the hell is this? 
Well, you should know it's Olivia Newton-John, and I'm sorry if you're too young to remember her. Too bad, because she was awesome. But yeah, physical by Olivia Newton-John, the last time we had inflation like this. Now, remember that President Biden declared war on the energy sector, and gas prices now are 49% higher than they were. He increased and extended the ongoing war on businesses and employers, and that's why businesses are not recovering. We have millions more illegal immigrants in the country. We have a massive supply chain problem. We have people in his administration first predicting that the inflation would be transitory, then saying it's not a big deal, and now saying that it's just a Republican talking point. So I guess when you go to the store and you pay more or you can't find what you're looking for, that's just something you're, you're imagining as a Republican or a conservative. So what was the president doing yesterday? Was he fixing any of this? Was he addressing any of this? Did he seem to care about any of this? No. The president yesterday went down to Georgia to yell at the American people. And we're going to talk about that. But I I, I think it's interesting to look at how COVID gets blamed for what politicians actually do. So COVID happened. And COVID was going to happen outside of our power to, to prevent it from happening. I mean, however it started, whatever you believe about COVID, uh, it, 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 it was released into the ecosystem. It came into our lives. It's in every country. What we have control over is who we elect and what they do about it. And who we elected and what he's done about it has everything to do with what I'm describing right now. So this is not the Omicron variant. This is not COVID-19. This is the Biden variant. He said he would end the virus. He said he had a plan. He said the reason the virus got out of control is because Trump was amateur hour and the people around him were incompetent boobs. But Biden has no plan. And there have been more deaths on his watch than there were on Trump's. And they're still listening to Fauci, who Trump shouldn't have listened to, and Biden should not be listening to. They don't just listen to him, they worship him. The scaremongers started it. The people that scared the hell out of everybody started it. We've had insane and outsized panic over this thing from the start. And the current variant is the worst example we have what is now an increasingly mild strain of COVID-19. Yet to watch our political leaders, things have never been scarier. And that's not accidental, that's intentional. If they're scaring people, it's because they want to scare them. It's not that they accidentally scared them. Biden said we had a testing problem. All that had to be done under both Trump and Biden was to get the government out of the way of testing production. They chose to ignore testing and focus on vaccine mandates. Vaccine mandates gave us a worker shortage. And the worker shortage has exacerbated the supply chain problem and the bare shelves problem. 
and the inflation problem. And while they were doing that and paying people to stay home, they restructured people's ideas about work. Now it's meritorious to not work. Now people think it's a, it's a heroic thing to stay home, even though you can work and you're able-bodied and you should work. And we wonder why we can't keep things open and make things and supply things. And then to solve the problem he created, he cooked up a $2 trillion American rescue plan, which has made it all worse. We could have picked a name out of the phone book, made that person president, and be no worse off than we are now. Probably better. We could accidentally be better. And the Wall Street Journal has a story today about how the answer to all this is probably Hillary Clinton. (laughs) What? Now is the moment for Hillary Clinton, writes Doug Shane and Andrew Stein, longtime Democratic pollsters and pundits. They say that uh, Biden's low approval rating, doubts over his capacity to run for re-election at age 82, Kamala Harris's unpopularity, the absence of another strong Democrat in 2024, have created a leadership vacuum in the party which Clinton could viably fill. That's their quote. They even point out that she's younger than Joe Biden. Imagine when Hillary Clinton is the young, energetic alternative. Well, don't. Write it off. I mean, it sounds crazy. But have you ever known the Clintons to not lust after power? Have you ever known the Clintons not to be narcissists? Both of them felt entitled. She still does. The only thing that sated Bill Clinton's entitlement is that he's literally at the limit. He, he can't be president anymore. Or else, if he, if, if he was constitutionally eligible, this conversation would be about how we should throw ourselves into his arms instead of hers how much would she have to cheat to win an election can you imagine how many votes would you have to steal for hillary how stupid would we have to be to do that i read today that americans are reading fewer books than we ever have ever so maybe we are that stupid now i don't know so joe biden goes down to georgia and it was angry joe biden he was pounding the podium he at one point shouted he wouldn't be quiet anymore, which is kind of a weird thing for the commander-in-chief and the president of the United States to say, like like he'd been... <laughs> like, he, like what, what does that mean? You have the most powerful, prominent position. You have the bully pulpit of the presidency. You've been too quiet? But the problem Joe Biden wanted us to know yesterday is how racist we are, how disappointing we are. And this is the thing with modern Democrats and liberals. It's always about punishment, right? It's always about taking away from you to give to somebody else. It's always about how how bad and, and disappointing you are. It's weird because all my life I've watched politicians suck up and kiss up to the American people and tell us how great we are. And that's how they get elected, and they promise to make your life better. This guy comes along and tells you what a disappointment you are. And he promises to take things away from you and make things harder for you. And if the numbers are to be believed, you gave him your vote. That's weird. Of course, now people are living under it. It's not hypothetical Joe Biden anymore. It's real Joe Biden. So how can Joe Biden and his political party stay in power? Well, they've got to do something 
to change the dynamic. Because obviously with inflation numbers like this, with misery like this, with a failed policy on COVID like this, you can't just go to the same voters and say, hey, give us two more years, give us four more years. So that's why we have to start talking about letting illegal immigrants and non-citizens vote. That's why we have to flood the country with new Americans and grant them all amnesty. That's why we have to change the way we conduct elections. How stupid would we be to let incumbent politicians, people that are in power, rewrite the rules of the next election? That's like something people in a new democracy that had never lived under democracy before they, they, they might fall for that you know they didn't know any better we, we've, we've been at this for 240 plus years why would you let the party in power say now that we're in power we're going to pull up the the uh you know <laughs> the life preserver rope and we're going to change the rules from here on out and they call it and, and Biden referred to this several times yesterday. They call it the John Lewis Civil Rights Act. John Lewis was a congressman and before that a longtime civil rights activist. He's a great American. He's no longer with us. John Lewis was in Congress for many, many years and an outspoken American before that. John Lewis never proposed to federalize elections. John Lewis never called for, as a private citizen or proposed as a legislator the stuff that they've now put in a bill and named after him. Why wouldn't John Lewis himself have told us to do these things if these are the things John Lewis would have wanted? Why didn't Joe Biden ever call for these things in all the years he was in the Senate? If these are the right things to do, where was he? Where was Nancy Pelosi? This is not the right thing to do and everyone can see it. This is the last desperate grasp and gasp of tired, old, hackneyed politicians whose power is slipping away from them. And when everything else has failed you, you look for someone to blame, and the someone is you. And I said this the other day. It's going to be about how racist you are, and we are. Because they know that's the one word that people will avoid. Tell people they're racist and they'll do anything to prove that they're not. They'll give you anything to prove that they're not. He thinks you're going to give him this bill and let him take over and take control of elections. Like like the states are racist, but the politicians in Washington are not racist at all. And he actually came out and said, you're either with us, we're the John Lewis team, or you're with Bull Connor. And people over a certain age probably don't even know who Bull Connor is. He was the segregationist, racist sheriff down there. Or police commissioner, or something like that. Commissioner of Public Safety, or something like that. And then, and then he also said, if you're not with us, you're on the side of Jefferson Davis. Jefferson Davis was the president of the Confederate States. I know Joe Biden is old, but that's quite a dated reference. So if you don't support federalizing elections, you are a Confederate? So Joe Manchin is a Confederate? Kirsten Sinema, who's a bisexual Democratic senator from Arizona, is a Confederate, actually? And, of course, all of this is rich because Joe Biden himself, when he started his political career, was pals with people like George Wallace and James Eastland and Robert Byrd, who were actual segregationists. 
And at one time, until only when it became recently inconvenient for him, Biden used to brag about how close he was to these guys and how much they loved him. But now, if you don't give him everything he wants, you're with them. But he, he was never with them. That never happened. And then it gets even worse. Not only are you a segregationist and a racist and a member of the Confederate States of America, but you're also a terrorist if you don't give him everything he wants. Everything he wants. It was an ugly moment, but it sums up an ugly first year of this presidency. And I see where Mitch McConnell was on the Senate floor today, and he said, I don't recognize the man that spoke in Georgia yesterday. I wonder if the people that voted for him recognize him. I wonder if they recognize themselves. Do you, do you, do you fit the description Joe Biden has of you? Are you who he says you are? I said everything I could say. I, I, I put it all out there, and a lot of other people did too. He's not going to unite. That's not the, what the people around him want or will let happen. Whether he wanted it or not, we'll never know. It was an ugly, ugly display in Georgia. Demagoguery isn't even a strong enough word for it. And you have to remember that before anything else, it was an attack on two people in his own party. All the Bull Connor, Jefferson Davis, you know, that was all aimed at Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema first. And then you. So if you don't believe in federalizing elections, if you don't believe in, in letting the federal government override the states on polling places and polling hours and early voting and voter ID, if you are, are unwilling to turn your elections over to Nancy Pelosi or Joe Biden or whoever instead of your state and local officials, then that's who you are. You're George Wallace. You know, the Democrats never really washed their hands of those people. Bill Clinton gave the Medal of Freedom to, uh, I think, to Robert Byrd, and I know to James Eastland. Uh, these people were racists, anti-Semites, but they were helpful and powerful. When Joe Biden first came to the Senate, he made up to, he, he cozied up to, I mean, it was shameless, they wrote about it at the time. He made up to people like Eastland and Byrd and George Wallace because they were powerful in the Democratic Party, and he was ambitious. He wanted to go places. And at the time, that's what it took. Now, he's cozy with the people that made him president. This is a man that will say and do anything. Seemed like a good idea to hand over all the power over elections to him and his party. Does that seem like a good idea? Seems like a terrible idea. And if they're willing to demonize people in their own party, and they've really stopped just short of calling for violence against Kirsten Cinema and Joe Manchin, remember they chased Kirsten Cinema into a bathroom, then you can imagine what their plans are for you. And he kept talking about the, we can't let the minority or the majority, the, the, the fact is that because Manchin and Cinema oppose 
what he's doing, not only on the filibuster, not only on the voting, but also on Build Back Better, that is the majority. That's 52 out of 100 senators. That's not difficult math. That is the majority. His party only has technical control of the Senate because the vice president can break a tie. It's a 50-50 Senate. But anytime one Democratic senator crosses over, that's 51. That's a majority against whatever they're putting forward. So this is all Orwellian. Words have changed their meaning. Majority means minority. Minority means majority. Constitution doesn't mean we're defending the Constitution, but we're violating it. We have to destroy it to save it. We have to destroy democracy to save democracy. We have to destroy separation of powers to save separation of powers. Elect me and I'll get rid of this guy that's challenging all of our norms, yet he's challenged them more than Trump ever did. This is the most divisive, disruptive year a president has ever given our country. So... What are you going to do now? If you've ever wanted a, an example of deflection and distraction, this is it. Americans are hurting. Inflation is a major thing in our lives. Shortages are a major daily encounter people are having, not only as consumers, but in, in the business world. You, you, if you run a business or you have your own business, you are a consumer of somebody else's supplies or goods or raw materials. You can't do your thing. You can't satisfy your customers if your needs are not satisfied. But what's he doing? He's down in Georgia accusing the country of being racists. 210-599-5555. Esteban is on 550 and 107.1 KTSA. Esteban, good afternoon. Good afternoon. I'm hot. You know, church service Sunday, we appoint a new elder. Uh, graduate of Trinity University, really good friend. The last thing he wanted to be known as is an African-American elder. Because to our body of believers, he's known by his wisdom, his caring, his wife who, is, who loves being the mother of boys, and his insight into Scripture and his own personal conduct. The last thing he, he wanted he would want to be recognized is by his skin color. The woke world, Biden's world, everything is about skin color. It's about group. Here we are at church. You know, we are. We have to deal with the high prices. We have to deal with the scarcity. And our bonds are about faith. Our bonds are about what we have in common with each other. And another church, we had. There was a church work day. The people who knew the most about the jobs at hand directed those who didn't. It happened to be that we have a lot of Hispanic building contractors, so of course they directed the work. Mm-hmm. It's Biden's world that's the racist. Biden has well, it's so just a it's racist. a means to an end, Esteban. I mean, I, I I don't think they I don't really think they are interested in race in any kind of intellectual or or spiritual way. Uh, this is just a way to get certain blocks of voters that used to blindly and dependably vote Democratic back in line. 
You have to define terms. And you also have to guilt and shame white voters into thinking that if they don't turn over their, their state sovereignty to you, that by definition makes them racists. Now, it doesn't matter that in, even in blue states, they're doing voter ID. Even in blue states, they're trying to secure their elections. It doesn't matter. This label can be sprayed around indiscriminately because it has the power to stop people in their tracks. Now, again, not you. Don't get offended if this doesn't apply to you. But I'm talking about people for whom the word racist is a game stopper. And they will do anything, they will acquiesce to anything so that you will not think of them or they will not be thought of in that way. He knows that, they know that. And they're couching all of this in those terms. And they're accusing, And I mean, this is funny to me. George Wallace was a Democrat. James Eastland was a Democrat. Robert Byrd was a Democrat. They were all segregationists and bigots. When he talks about Jim Crow, they were Jim Crow. Did you ever think you would see? I never thought I would see. If if, if ever a president in my lifetime would be invoking the specter of this, I would have thought it would be a Republican. It's a Democrat. And so he's he, he's not a, you know, Biden's not a, a real bright guy. He's not capable of subtlety. So he's telling you, if you're not with us on this, you're Jefferson Davis, you're George Wallace, you're, you know. I, I, guess, I guess they left Hitler out of this one, but usually Hitler gets thrown in there somewhere. I'm not sure if they could figure out how to fit him in to this analogy. And, again, just to be clear, just to be clear, the history of Jim Crow, the history of voter suppression in this country, a, r- a real thing, a real blot on our history, done by, carried out by, defended by, excused by Democrats. I wouldn't bring that up. There'd be no reason to, I, I don't hold that against today's Democrats. They weren't alive for it. They didn't have any part in it. I'm not saying they did. He's the one that's brought this, dragged this stinker into the conversation. So if you're going to drag it in, then let's define terms. Biden used to brag about his relationship to these people. And then you have Kamala Harris. Now, the only reason that the Wall Street Journal is speculating about Hillary Clinton is because Kamala Harris is an empty pantsuit. I mean, no no one, and I'm, I'm by no means a fan of hers, no one saw or predicted how, how truly devoid she would be in what is a pretty easy job to do. She's managed to screw up a job that you almost can't fail at because there's really nothing expected of the vice presidency. You know, Dan Quayle was vice president. So Kamala Harris gets up and she says that what's at stake in ending the filibuster rule and passing the John Lewis Act is that a minority is blocking legislation in the Senate. She says this is unconstitutional. Nowhere in the Constitution does does a minority have the right to unilaterally block legislation. 
52 out of 100 is not a minority. It's a majority. And the whole purpose of the Senate is to not be a majoritarian body. That's why it has the rules it has. That's why it's it's different than the House. They want to make it just like the House. You know, they, there's people in the Democratic Party now that want to uh, assign different numbers of senators to each state based on the population. That's That's another way of making it just like the House. Why have the Senate if it's going to be just like the House? They designed it to be different. They designed it to be a circuit breaker. It's not a majoritarian body. Now, they either don't know this, I, I think they probably do, or they know it, and they just figure you're too stupid to know it. And I'm sorry to say it that way, and I'm, I know I'm probably driving people away and offending people. That's what I do, but um, this has to be said. If you fall for this, if you get shamed by the word racism, or you don't know that 52 out of 100 is not a minority... Or you're not aware of the fact that the guy calling you Bull Connor and and George Wallace was A-OK with those people at one time. That's how he started his political career, by sucking up to them. Then you, you, you kind of almost deserve what you get. I don't want you to get it. I want you to know these things. 210 599 I heard that woman say she was tired of COVID. You know what I'm tired of? I'm tired of leaders telling us how disappointed they are in Americans. There's something about America that causes people to risk their lives to come here, to break the law to come here, to cross oceans and rivers and deserts to come here. And many of those people are people of color. They can't possibly think they are coming to a cesspit of racism. They can't possibly think they're coming to the worst place in the world for people of color. They don't believe what our leaders are telling us. Maybe we should stop believing. And Scott is on KTSA at 210-599-5555. Scott, good afternoon. Uh, hi, Jack. And I'd just like to say I've been listening to you since end of the night. Whoa, that goes way back. Way back, buddy. Uh, and I think you're the best guy on the station. Oh, well, thank you. Uh, sorry, but you know you know what you're talking about. And you kind of spoiled my thunder just before the commercials there, because I was going to call in and say, yeah, you know, all these people that Biden was denigrating are Democrats. And uh, in fact, I forget where I heard it. It may have been uh, Sean Rima, even, that, you know, that grew up in his area, was talking about uh, Biden used to brag about how southern Delaware was a Confederate, you know. Mm-hmm. And That's and right. That. But, uh, I don't, you know, he... He's a mouthpiece uh, for the Democratic Well, Biden's been around Party. so long, Scott, that when he first came into politics and he knew he wanted to be president from the beginning, back yeah. then a, a, a Democrat had to be able to run in the South. So he, he, he said all this stuff about Dixiecrats and Dixie and the Confederacy because he thought that would be necessary. Now, fast forward, the South is almost solid Republican, so now it's a bunch of racists, and, you know, we can't trust any of them. I mean, that, he's been I'm around so long, he's been on both sides of everything. To, uh, excuse me, Jack. I'm actually old enough. I graduated in the 70s. 
Uh, I graduated in 79. So I'm old enough to remember when the South was Democratic. In yeah. fact, it was up until uh, Reagan. Right. And, uh, yeah. So he's yeah, just, he's just know, been around he, so he, long, he, he can't remember, he can't remember which team he's on, he can't remember which side he's been on, and, and, and the, the media will never hold him accountable to it. No, uh, it, it, with any other politician, they'd be saying, hey, what about what you said before? Or what about where you stood before? Scott, thank you. I appreciate the call, sir. Good to have you. Um, you know, the, I use the example of John Lewis. They name in this bill after John Lewis. John Lewis never proposed any of this. How condescending is it for a bunch of white liberals to wrap up all the things they want now and say, this is what John Lewis wanted. We're hiding behind John Lewis. Oh, who, the way, is a titan compared to them, okay? They couldn't tie his shoes. Well, we're going to call it the John Lewis Bill because he had class and people admired him and he really did stuff. We're a bunch of limousine liberals who've never done anything, never helped anybody. If we ever helped anybody, it was because we took from somebody else and gave it away. John Lewis put his own skin in the game. John Lewis actually did the things Joe Biden imagines he's done. Biden Biden imagines he's been in the civil rights marches. He imagines he's been on the Edmund Pettus Bridge. He imagines he was arrested in South Africa. John Lewis actually did these things. But John Lewis didn't propose federalizing elections. Now, why didn't he? He was a loud, uh, uh, outspoken man. If that was what he thought we needed to do, I don't agree with it, but we would have heard it from him. And then even Joe Biden himself. Not so many years ago. I want to play this for you. If you haven't heard it before, it may, you may have heard it before. Joe Biden was on fire in the Senate about the importance of protecting the way the Senate operates and that the filibuster is part of that. And so here's Senator Joe Biden, a, a, a man President Joe Biden has never heard of before. Cut number two. Lyndon Johnson, the master of the Senate, put it this way. In this country... A majority may govern, but it does not rule. The genius of our constitutional and representative government is the multitude of safeguards provided to protect minority interest. The Senate Majority Leader Howard Baker in 1993 wrote that compromising the filibuster, quote, would topple one of the pillars of American democracy, the protection of minority rights from majority rule. The Senate is the only body in the federal government where these minority rights are fully and specifically protected. End of quote. That's the man who yesterday said, we've got to end the filibuster. We've got to do it now. We've got to do it. And if you don't, and if you're against that, why you're with the Confederacy. Same guy. I may not remember everything I've ever said or done, but good grief. How many versions of him are there? There's more variants of Joe Biden than there is of COVID-19. 210-599-5555. You'll love this. (laughs) It's nothing you can do but laugh at this. The mayor of D.C., Muriel Bowser, um, put out a uh, tweet about the new um, the new rules for living under her regime in Washington, D.C. Now, before I tell you what she said, let me just set the table. 
having a photo ID to vote is racist. Having a photo ID, requiring people to have a photo ID, oppresses black people. It's restrictive, oppressive, it's hostile to them, it's Jim Crow. You've heard all that, right? Poor people can't get them. Older people don't have them. Don't know how to get them. So if you require a photo ID, you're a hater. Muriel Bowser's tweet reads as follows. Remember that starting Saturday, you will need these three things before heading out of your home. One, proof of vaccination. Two, proof of vaccination and photo ID for people 18 and older. Three, a mask. And then it gives you a website for more information. So Muriel Bowser, an African-American Democrat, is requiring a photo ID. Why isn't that racist? Why isn't that unfair or selectively harsh to black people or older people? Did she not get the memo? Did she not hear the talking points? Did she forget? She's not as old as Joe Biden. She can't have forgotten. Since you're okay with making me show a photo ID to leave my house, doesn't seem like it would be a great leap to show one to vote. Forget for the moment that, did you ever think we would see a time in this country when you would be told, don't leave your home unless you can affirmatively prove who you are? I mean, I'm not even going there at the moment. There'll be, there'll be time to talk about that. But if ever you needed proof that they don't believe the stuff they're throwing up against the wall and hoping it will stick, this is it right here. So I guess the repressed older folk who can't get a photo ID to vote, screw them. They don't need to leave their house. Muriel Bowser. 210-599-5555. There's an interesting story in England going on. I don't know if you've heard about this or not. I... I bring it up just because I find it kind of an interesting contrast. It's not our country, but just bear with me for a minute. See if you see what I see in this story. There's a big scandal in Britain. They call it Partygate. And here's the, here's the deal. The Prime Minister of Great Britain, Boris Johnson, back in May of 2020, and this has just come out, so it happened in May of 2020, uh, hosted and, and and was present at a drinking party at 10 Downing Street, the White House of Britain. They had a, a, a booze party. They got together for drinks. What's the problem? Well, at the time, you couldn't have any gatherings. You couldn't gather with people. You couldn't invite people to your home. You weren't supposed to visit anybody. You weren't supposed to go anywhere. You certainly couldn't go to a bar. And... um and he was making these rules. He was lording this over his people. And now it's emerged that he wasn't following his own example. We've had this happen in this country, right? I mean, countless times, mayors and governors and senators and congress critters, we've, we've caught them, photo, you know, photo evidence, red-handed, not doing what they're commanding you and I to do. So he's caught. Shouldn't be a big deal. We, we've let all of our people off the hook. Everybody's fine. Gavin Newsom's fine. Bill de Blasio's fine. Lori Lightfoot's fine. Everybody's fine. No problem. 
one-day story blows over. Somebody rants and raves about it on talk radio. It goes away. In Britain, a majority of people in his own party say he has to resign over this. Bojo has to go. His own party. It's like they've got the accountability thing down better than we do. I mean, I don't know. I'm not there, and it's not my... I don't have a vote, but is it not interesting that the British people are like, uh-uh, no. If you made the rule, and then you and and you basically barked at us, and then when you didn't think we were looking, you did whatever the hell you wanted to do, no. Public office is a privilege, and you don't deserve it. Again, I'm not taking sides, but that's the judgment they've rendered, and it's clear. And you can say, well, Jack, it's a parliamentary system. It's a different system. I know that. I know that. We don't, we don't have votes of confidence and the parliamentary process in this country. But my point is, people are saying, no more of this bull. If you talk the talk, walk the walk, or get out. Why is that hard? It's not for them. I'm going to read you a little of this. This is an Associated Press story, uh, dateline today. Scientists are seeing signals that COVID-19's Omicron wave may have already peaked in Britain and is about to do the same in the U.S., at which point cases may start dropping off dramatically. The reason, tell me where you've heard this before, the reason the variant has proven so wildly contagious that it may already be running out of people to infect just a month and a half after it was first detected in South Africa. It's going to come down as fast as it went up, says Professor Ali Mukdad, a professor of health metrics at the University of Washington. At the same time, experts warn there is still much, there is, that much is still uncertain about how the next phase of the pandemic might unfold. But see, this was something that we talked about when Omicron first made its debut on the stage. If, if you have a variant that rips through the population, and I don't know about you, but anecdotally, just for myself, I now know like exponentially more people with COVID than I did over the first year, year and a half of this thing. You know, if you'd asked me in the spring of 2020, I knew one person. You ask me now, I, I can't even, I can't even list all the people I know that either have it right this minute or have recently had it. And when I told my story about having it over the holidays, that unleashed a ton of emails from people saying, me too, I went through that too. I'm not saying everybody's had it, but we are getting to the point where the virus is going to start running out of hosts. And so it's interesting. That's going to happen, or if that's going to happen, that's going to happen not because of any policy decision, not because of who you elected or didn't elect or Dr. Fauci or this or that government agency. That's just going to, that's just nature. That's just what viruses do. And so they think it has already peaked in Britain. Last week, new cases started coming down. 
on a daily basis. They haven't yet here, but we may be close to that. You know, when Joe Biden ran for president, he said that um, Donald Trump was to blame for the high number of deaths in the U.S. attributed to the Chinese Communist Party virus. He also said that our deaths per capita were abnormally high compared to those in other parts of the world. That was not true at the time. But now, under President Biden, not candidate Biden, U.S. per capita deaths are, in fact, ahead of the same countries he was comparing us to in 2020, like Britain and Spain and France and so forth. Um, by his own measuring stick, candidate Biden would tell you that President Biden has failed. Candidate Biden would have a real problem with President Biden's record. So, I don't think Omicron is going to be the end of us all, and I think Omicron, if anything, may turn out to be the end of COVID-19, but... Why are we doing worse than countries we were doing better than? And why is it that the person who gained the presidency by defining for us what failure looks like is failing worse? You know, the the cynic in me would think, well, I'm running against Donald Trump. By the way, if you were to run against Donald Trump, your biggest ally would be Donald Trump, right? So I'm running against Donald Trump. He's going to help me a lot. (laughs) He's going to do all kinds of things to help me. But I can pretty much say anything. I can make any claim. I I can invent numbers. I can make invalid comparisons. I can make wild ass promises. Because the media also hate Trump so much that I won't be fact-checked. I won't be looked at with, wait a minute, what are you talking about? Or where are you getting that? Or that's not right. Or No. I mean, don't you think a lot of the, the bold strategy of keeping him in the basement in Delaware and all this stuff that he claimed he was going to be able to do, you, you say that when you know, I just have to get into office and then it doesn't matter if I was wrong or it turns out not to have been true. I'm president. That's what happened. They hated Trump so much, they paid no attention to what Biden was saying. They didn't say, well, how will you stop the virus? They just reported that he promised that. I don't blame people for hearing that and going, well, gee, that's what I want. Okay, he's got my vote. So I think that's how it played out, if you want to know. I mean, I know a lot of people, look, I know a lot of people think the only way to explain 2020 is, well, they stole it. But there's a lot of different definitions of stealing it. Most people, when they say they stole it, meaning, I think it was, uh, you know, something with the counting of the ballots and the boxes and the thing in Georgia with the box under the table and finding votes. And But another way to steal it is basically to just run against a guy who is basically his own worst enemy and have all of the mechanisms in a democracy that normally are the safeguards, and that would be the the free press, right? 
to have them be so invested in hating Donald Trump that they couldn't be bothered to do their own job, to do it at all, to even do it a little. To even like occasionally go, hey, uh, this is some pretty big talk there, candidate Biden. How in the world are you going to do that? Where's the plan for that? And, um, and, and, and frankly, even in this first year of his presidency, what are the media doing? They're contemplating whether they've been too hard on him. <laughs> They're contemplating whether they report too many negative stories about him. They're, 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 second-guessing themselves and whether they're being too hard on him. Maybe no one can do the job. Maybe it's too big. Maybe the virus is too big. Maybe nobody can really be president of a country like this. It's so complicated and big and sprawling, and there's so many people. But these are the people who, in ordinary times, would have been your safeguard, would have been the, hey, wait a minute, this is a lot of malarkey, as he likes to say. So the stealing of it had a lot of fingerprints on it. And it doesn't have to be as simple as, well, I don't believe he got that many votes, or I don't believe he won that state. They're right when they say, well, you need to prove that if you're going to say it. But I can prove what I just told you. You know I'm right about what I just told you. So I don't know if they counted the votes in Georgia or Michigan or Arizona, right? I don't know that. But I do know that he was allowed to get away with saying things that were cray-cray. No fact-checking. No, prove it, because they hated Trump. And a lot of you want Trump to run again. They will, they will run this game again. The person that runs against Trump this time will be able to say anything. Anything. Who knows what it'll be, right? There has always been an, an aura of... Um, for me, at least, I shouldn't speak for anybody else. The events of January 6th always seemed to me a little too pat. A little too... I, 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 it reminds me a lot of what we're supposed to believe about the assassination of President Kennedy. In other words, the official version of both events is very hard to take straight no chaser. And it might be because we don't want to believe it. We don't want to believe that some pathetic loser took the life of the president. But it might also be because it strains credibility. It's not, it doesn't add up. It doesn't make sense. There's too many things about it that don't quite, you know, the, the lines don't quite match up. And I think in, in time... January 6th will be like that. So there's the incontrovertible piece of it. There's no lying about what happened at the Capitol in terms of what we could see on our televisions or in pictures, but how it came about, how it started, uh, how it was organized or if it was organized. And I've believed for a long time that with all the law enforcement and all the security, all the national security, all the homeland security in our nation's capital, it's got to be the most locked down, fortified, infiltrated, observed, surveilled city in our country. I have to believe there were people in our government that knew what was brewing 
And I have to believe that there were federal law enforcement people on the ground on that day. Logic would dictate that. It's illogical to believe none of that is true. So I want to play this for you. Senator Ted Cruz was asking questions of Jill Sanborn, who is a Department of Justice uh, official. I want you to hear the questions and the answers and see what you think of the questions and answers as they came out in the hearing. This was yesterday. Take a listen. I want to turn to the FBI. How many FBI agents or confidential informants actively participated in the events of January 6th? Sir, I'm sure you can appreciate that I can't go into the specifics of sources and methods. Uh, Did any FBI agents or confidential informants actively participate in the events of January 6th? Yes or no? Sir, I can't, I can't answer that. Did any FBI agents or confidential informants commit crimes of violence on January 6th? I can't answer that, sir. Did any FBI agents or FBI informants actively encourage and incite crimes of violence on January 6th? Sir, I can't answer that. Ms. Sadburn, who is Ray Epps? I'm aware of the individual, sir. Uh, I don't have the specific background to him. Well, there are a lot of well, people who are understandably very, are concerned, understandably about very Mr. Epps. concerned about Mr. Epps. On the night of January 5th, 2021, Epps wandered around the crowd that had gathered. And there's video out there of him chanting, tomorrow we need to get into the Capitol, into the Capitol. This was strange behavior, so strange that the crowd began chanting, fed, 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 fed. Ms. Sandburn, was Ray Epps a fed? Sir, I cannot answer that question. The next day. The next day. On January 6th, Mr. Epps is seen whispering to a person, and five seconds later, five seconds after he's whispering to a person, that same person begins to forcibly tear down the barricades. Did Mr. Epps urge them to tear down the barricades? Sir, similar to the other answers, I cannot answer that. Shortly thereafter, the FBI put out a public post listing, seeking information on individuals connected with violent crimes on January 6th. Among those individuals in the bottom there is Mr. Epps. The FBI publicly asked for information, identifying, offering cash rewards leading to information, leading for information leading to the arrest. This was posted and then sometime later, magically, Mr. Epps disappeared from the public posting. According to public records, Mr. Epps has not been charged with anything. No one's explained why a person videoed urging people to go to the Capitol, a person whose conduct was so suspect the crowd believed he was a Fed, would magically disappear from the list of people the FBI was looking at. Ms. Sanborn, a lot of Americans are concerned that the federal government deliberately encouraged illegal and violent conduct on January 6th. My question to you, and this is, a, this is not an ordinary law enforcement question, this is a question of a public accountability. Did federal agents or those in service of federal agent actively encourage violent and criminal conduct on January 6th? Not to my knowledge, sir. I, I guess I want to take your, I want to, I want to ask you what your take is on that exchange. 
is Ted Cruz asking good questions that need answers? And is Jill Sanborn being evasive? Or is Ted Cruz being a jerk? And Jill Sanborn is being professional and not, you know, I can't go there. I'm not, that's not, we're not getting into that. What, what, what is your read on that? Cause that's obviously her posture is, I can't talk about that. I can't answer those questions. Now, the, I, I'm not a professional law enforcement person. To me, I would think if I'm the FBI or the Department of Justice, I want to be very clear that we did not have our fingerprints on or, or participate in January 6th or that we didn't know in advance and let it happen, much less egg it on to happen. I, I would, I would want to, I would think you would want to, uh, answer those questions very, very, de- in a very declarative way. Even if people didn't believe you, you'd, you'd at least want to look like, hey, we're, no, how? That's not what we do. And see, it's, it's the, it's the after effects, it's the after action analysis of a historical event that often keeps conspiracy theories going. So I made the analogy to the JFK assassination. Part of the reason the conspiracy theories have survived, you know, all these years, more than half a century, part of it is, yeah, that the, the actual explanation of Lee Harvey Oswald is, is pretty weak. But part of it is also that right at that moment, eliminating JFK had huge political implications for the country, for politics, for politicians. It changed the trajectory of many things, especially foreign policy. And so that keeps alive the idea, well, geez, there were people that really benefited. There were vested interests in getting rid of President Kennedy, ergo, Maybe there's more to the story of how he was taken out. January 6th has been invaluable to the left. I mean, think about, and and this was just, we just had the one-year anniversary of it. They're going to do this every year from now on. For the rest of your life, they're going to rally the troops. They're going to... um, celebrate doesn't seem like the right word, but they can't wipe the glee off their faces. They're going to celebrate what this, or they what they think, at least, this allows them to do and say. And it stuns Republicans and conservatives into silence and confusion, and, and so they have to spend all their time insisting, they don't appro- I don't approve of what happened, and I don't... It's... It's got so much value, and it, like the JFK assassination, the sort of Wikipedia explanation of it is so weird and and sort of non-sequitur that you just think, okay, a lot of people benefited from this. I don't think I believe that it just happened. In the same way that to accept Lee Harvey Oswald, you have to believe that this, this, again, this, this loser guy with a scrambled egg of a brain with crazy ideas, no clarity on anything, somehow thought he needed to take out the leader of the free world. 
it, it, it doesn't hold up to close scrutiny. And then you really start to wonder when you see all the after effects with both of these stories. So having said that, is she being evasive? Or is she being is she answering those questions the only way somebody in her position could answer them? What did you think? You heard it. What did you think? Two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. Now the January sixth committee also reminds me a little bit of the Warren Commission. And here's what I mean. The January 6th committee was made up entirely of members chosen by Speaker Pelosi. It was crafted to do the only thing they want it to do. They, d- they didn't want it to go down any side streets or back alleys or take a fresh look. We're going to take a fresh look at this. We're going to start all over again. We're going to chase down the conspiracy theories. No. The job of the January 6th committee is to quickly make sure that the official line on January 6th becomes concrete and and dries and hardens in people's minds. The Warren Commission was appointed within days or weeks of President Kennedy's death. It was not to seek the truth. It was not to solve the crime. It was to make sure people had a ready-made, government-approved, explanation for this terrible weird unforeseen event and and the only difference is it was a bipartisan bipartisan commission but the people that served on that commission accepted that they were supposed to tamp down speculation and conspiracy that was done in the name of the cold war we can't have we can't have the the country wondering about this we can't have a civil war breakout we can't have the soviets take advantage So the people in the Warren Commission, although they were not all one party, had all one purpose. This is Lee Harvey Oswald and only Lee Harvey Oswald. You're crazy to think anything else. You're kind of unpatriotic to think anything else. Isn't that what the the mindset of the January 6th committee is? What I'm saying right now, the question I'm asking right now, they would say is, how dare you? 210-599-5555. 210-599-5555. Steve is on 550 and 107.1 KTSA. Steve, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Um, the thing that struck me is that when Cruz asked her about the guy whispering in the person's ear and all that, um, she said she couldn't answer the question. Um, if, if he was not a government informant, then she could have answered the question without compromising sources and methods and all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. But but she, right. still, she said she couldn't answer the question. That tells yeah. me she confirmed that the guy was a Fed. Yeah, uh, there's been no good, satisfactory explanation for Roy Epps. Maybe there will be. Uh, Ray Epps, excuse me. But I agree with you. That that answer in particular is sort of, it's 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 troubling for what she doesn't say. Yeah, I mean, like I said, if if, if she was no, or if the guy was not working for the government, you're like hell no, he doesn't work for us. Are you crazy? No way. Yeah. Nope. I Absolutely. I, I I I agree, Steve. Thank you. Um, so d- is Ted Cruz barking up the right tree or the wrong tree, or is she giving the only answers you can give in that situation, or are, are her answers the kind that? 
make you think even more about this? And again, don't get me wrong. Sometimes stuff happens that, you know, benefits one side, you know, um, disproportionately, and it just happens that way. But sometimes when you see some faction in politics really, really benefiting disproportionately, it's worth taking a second look and saying, well, were they just lucky or did they benefit from something that was engineered to their benefit? If you reverse engineer January 6th, imagine a political world without it. Imagine where Trump is right now without it. Imagine where the the movement that Trump uh, led is without it. Imagine where... Um, where our discussion about many things that have happened in the last year would be, or if we would even be having it. When you look at it that way, when you reverse engineer it, it becomes so valuable that it's, it, it's, it's possible, it's conceivable that it was too valuable to not set up. I'm not saying I know that. I'm saying you'd be crazy to dismiss that. And they want you to dismiss it. And this has happened before. And in the past, when Americans were being fed a, this is the official line, swallow it, take it, shut up, don't question it, don't look at it, they responded by writing a gazillion books and launching a gazillion independent investigations. And decades later, there was Oliver Stone making the movie JFK. Even Hollywood was saying, we don't buy it. Hollywood today buys everything the government tells them, if it's the right government, if it's the right party, right? So where's the Oliver Stone for January 6th? Maybe there'll be one. 50 years from now, a majority of people or a plurality of people say they don't believe the official version of events about January 6th, 2021. It'll be because a lot of the same tactics that were employed in 1963 with President Kennedy's assassination have been employed again. They've, they've, they've gone to that playbook. And what happened after 1963, and it happened, it started happening immediately, was people began catching the FBI and the CIA in lies about Lee Harvey Oswald, in lies about what they knew and when they knew it, about his contacts and people he'd been around. And I only know this because we've done a ton of shows about this over the years, and this it's one of the historical events I've always had a, a particular fascination with, not in a morbid way, but because, again, it had such a it was such a hinge moment in our history. And if we are in that scenario a few decades from now, that'll be why. Because... It is not necessary to protect or evade these questions if you had nothing to do with it and you weren't there and you weren't infiltrating or uh, in in some way, uh, you know, helping. 210-599-5555. John is on the radio. John, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jack. Um, my, the, the problem that I have with a lot of these conservative senators, and I love Ted Cruz most of the time, he's a great showman, he didn't ask her why. She said she couldn't answer the question. The, the, he's a lawyer. That's a good he point. Former, he was a former yeah. attorney general. He knows to ask why. He didn't good, ask good why point. because he's trying to make a speech to try to rally his base for the midterms 
It's a simple question, why? But to your point, if I ask you, Jack Riccardi, were you involved in a bank robbery this morning? You would say no. You wouldn't say, I can't answer that question. Well, that's a bad analogy, though. I, I like what you said before, John, but that's a bad analogy because I would be answering just for myself. She's answering. She, it, it's, it's credible to me that she doesn't know all the things the federal government may or may not have been doing on that day. Probably no one person knows all of them. So I, 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 can, I can accept that she can't give the same answer I would give for myself, but I think you make a great point. We, and it's, it's not a lost opportunity because we're only just beginning to dig into this. But it's worth asking, what is the protect, what is it you're protecting if you were not involved? You would only say I have to protect if you have confidential informants, if you have infiltrators. Well, then that's a whole new, as you would, I think, agree, that's a whole new discussion. That's exactly true. And I'll take issue with a little bit of your criticism, even though I love your show. She didn't say I don't know until the very last question. She kept saying I can't say. Meaning well, I but can't she, she can't question. say if she doesn't know. Well, but she, but I don't. You, know your analogy was to ask me if I was at the bank when it got robbed. I, I absolutely would know whether or not I had done that. No one would know that better than me. She's not. She's not the actor we have to wonder about. I, I think that I don't know and I can't say imply different meanings, though. Okay. If she didn't know, she could say, "I don't know the answer to your question, Senator." Instead, she said, "I can't say." Okay. All right. Fair she enough. We'll we'll agree to dis- we'll agree to disagree on that. But I think it is a good. I, I'm trying to pay you a compliment, John. I I realize you don't want to take it, but I think you make a very good point. I would just say it's not a lost opportunity as long as somebody follows up and and does ask and follows that line of questioning, which I'm glad you brought up, and I appreciate you. So, doing a little juxtaposing, the president goes down to Georgia yesterday, and makes the day, the news cycle, all about the um, federalization of elections, the um, baked-in racism uh, of the Republicans and the demagoguery of not voting with him on his agenda, which, by the way, the, the collateral damage is done to two of his fellow Democrats, people that are very loyal Democrats. They're not... They're not like weirdos. They're people that vote with him on almost everything, Joe Manchin and Kristen Cinema. So anyway, that was yesterday's news cycle. They knew that today the December inflation numbers would come out. They have to have some idea, wouldn't you think? I think every administration has a little peek at the numbers or a preview or expectations. The consumer the inflation numbers were horrible. It's the worst month two-month comparison of inflation in 40 years. Not since 1982 have we seen things go up like this. 7% year-to-year comparison. Let me break it down. Uh, Gasoline, 49.6% from December of 2020 to December of 2021. Used cars, 37%. Utilities, 24%. Meat, fish, and eggs, 12%. New cars, 12%. Electricity, 6%. Uh, restaurant dining, 6%. And on and on it goes. The um, inflation is not transitory. The chairman of the Fed, uh, Jerome Powell, testified, I think it was yesterday, if, I've, if I'm remembering correctly, uh, basically contradicted all the political talking points coming out of the Biden White House. No, it's not transitory. Uh, no, it's not going away. Yes, it's real. 
yes, the supply chain is broken, et cetera, et cetera. So this is a real problem. I mean, we're living with this. We're not imagining it. It hasn't been invented by Kevin McCarthy or Tucker Carlson. It's a real thing. So what does the president do? He goes down to Georgia and invents something that is not a real problem. He contradicts 240 years of American history, the Constitution, his own record, his own speeches, some of them delivered fairly recently, and calls for an end to the filibuster, and um, the federalization of elections. They've taken all of these horrible, terrible, no-good ideas and bundled them together under the name the John Lewis Act. John Lewis, the former congressman and civil rights leader. Well, if you look, these are not things John Lewis was calling for when he was alive. So unless they've had a seance with John Lewis, and he's told them from beyond the grave that he now wants these things, and we must have these things, I would say, in addition to these being terrible ideas, it's pretty sick that they put his name on it. In fact, it's pretty sick that Democrats would be running on Jim Crow and poll taxes and suppression of black voters in the South. you got to admit it's ballsy, if you'll forgive my use of the word, to talk all this stuff up knowing that your audience probably doesn't remember that was all on your party. You guys were the ones doing that. Probably doesn't remember that this president was cozying up to the guys that were doing it. He wasn't directly part of it. He was a young whippersnapper freshman senator. But to make his mark in the Senate, he had to build alliances to, and he unabashedly did, with relics from the segregationist past, people like uh, Robert Byrd and James Eastland and others. And then you have to know that the media of the present day, who have the same access to this information I have, aren't going to make that comparison or draw those lines. And you have to know that this will help inoculate you and immunize you against the terrible inflation news that's going to come out the following day because you're going to say, look, we're, we can't worry about that right now. We're trying to save democracy. So what if you can't find a car? So what if there's no bread at the store? They had to have something bigger than the things that are real in your everyday life. They're trying to create it. I guess time will tell if it works. 210-599-5555. Um, if you don't stand with me, the president said, you stand with George Wallace. You stand with Bull Connors. He even brought, even brought Jefferson Davis into it. Now, we were talking a day or two ago about all of the Civil War imagery and new Civil War and is another Civil War coming? And we talked about how dangerous... And by the way, I would say this about people in either party. It's incredibly dangerous to talk that way or to suggest that is inevitable. I, I'm not saying you're not allowed to talk about it. I'm saying to to tell people this is where we're headed is to deny that there is anything better we can do. The Civil War was an atrocity 
it was the worst war we've ever been in. It was, it, 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 it was, if you will, probably the greatest tragedy in the story of America. And we've had a, we've had a lot of heartbreak. We've had a lot of anguish. We had the trail of tears. We had a lot of different things. We've done a lot of things as a country that we wish we could have done better. Lord knows we remind ourselves of those things all the time, more than any other country. We, we relive our, our failings and our shortcomings, but, but the Civil War is not something to play with. And yet, they're playing with it, I think. Because we're not facing the uh, issues that led to the Civil War. We don't have slaves in some states and not others. We don't have a, a lack of legal citizenship or legal standing in some states but not others. States making their own rules about voting are doing so through the democratic process, not through edicts or white supremacy. In fact, I would say to anybody that doesn't like Texas's voter ID requirement or the new election laws in Georgia, you, you have ample remedies to change those, debate those, re-examine those in local elections and the legislative process in those states. Uh, why have you given up on that? Why are you talking about a civil war? Why are you talking about George Wallace and Bull Connor? Why, in addition to why are you bringing up things that are actually blots on your own party's history, they're also blots on our country's history. Why are you telling people that we've gone back to the 1950s. It's provably not true. I mean, in the 1950s, the civil rights movement couldn't say, well, we've had a black president, or we've made all this progress, or we have all of these metrics and markers that show attitudes are changing and people are advancing. They, they didn't have any of that. They couldn't have said any of that. And they still conducted themselves with more dignity uh, in in the pinky of their left hand than this Democratic Party has in its entire body. There was quite a day yesterday. I, I, I knew they were going to go to that rhetoric or that imagery. But if you have not had a chance to hear Joe Biden, and I know that's not your favorite thing to do when you get home from work, but if you ever get a chance to read or replay uh, what he said... It was, as uh, Ed Morrissey said at HotAir.com, an ugly speech by a desperate man. I would just say this. Like, remember when we did the, the bit, you, you, you can give advice, but you only have four words. If you only gave me, like, one sentence, I would just say, do not let one political party that has just won election in a divided country rewrite the rules of all future elections to benefit them. I mean, forget everything else. Forget Biden's record and his contradictions. and Forget the Constitution. I know that's crazy to say that, but just, you put all that aside. Just logically, you wouldn't let one political party, I mean, you wouldn't let one political party make the rules, periods, full stop, but you certainly wouldn't when they have just won an election in a divided country, there is clearly no mandate. And the rule changes are obviously 
geared and designed to enshrine and extend their power. Not to mention the fact that whether you believe polls or not, the polls indicate uh, their power is, is slipping away from them. They're losing on every front. I don't know what will happen when the actual voting goes down and the votes get counted, but I mean, everything about this moment says don't fall for this. You wouldn't, you wouldn't fall for this. If you strip away the externals, you just, you wouldn't fall for this. I hope people don't. You know, I hear people say sometimes that, uh, they found Donald Trump's presidency exhausting. Usually those are people that didn't particularly like him or support him to begin with, not exclusively, but usually. Oh, it was exhausting. His presidency wore me out. I'm so glad we're done with that. Well, I, I will say one thing about, Donald Trump that I don't think you can deny. When Donald Trump, both as a candidate and as president, talked about this country, he was talking about it by talking it up. He was almost a salesman at times. And whether he was giving that speech at uh, Mount Rushmore in the uh, summer of 2020, or whether he was, um, you know, extolling the virtues of uh, bringing manufacturing jobs back to the country, or crafting a foreign policy that actually asked something of our allies, just a little something. It always sounded to me like, um, well, we, we have a president or we have a candidate who um, is not disappointed in this country. This, some people in this country were disappointed in him, but he was not disappointed in this country. By contrast, Joe Biden and before Trump, Barack Obama, frequently, almost always, to me, sounded disappointed. Remember all the times President Obama spoke and said, it's not who we are. This is not who we are. That was a way of saying, you failing, you're failing me. You're not good enough. You don't deserve me. And now we're back to that again. You want to be tired of Trump? Be tired of Trump. I find this rhetoric exhausting. I find this attitude exhausting being harangued and berated, threatened, having a president of the United States say from the White House microphone, we're losing patience with you people. He wasn't giving a, an ultimatum to a, a foreign enemy. <laughs> he was telling people that wouldn't wear masks. Americans. That's something I'm pretty sick and tired of. Maybe I'm the only one. 210 599 5555. And on the JR poll tonight, is inflation a major or a minor issue for you? The inflation numbers for December came out, so they're in the news. But I want to ask you, are, is this something that's a big deal, is having a big impact on you? Or is it something you've noticed, but not really changing the way you budget or live? That's our poll question. 
want to have at that, 210-599-5555 or jack at ktsa.com. On Facebook, it's Jack Riccardi or Jack Riccardi Show. Either one of those will do. Coming up this half hour, the results on our Stevens Roofing JR poll. So the the leadership of our country would, would have you believe that you should be very, very, very concerned about uh, racism, Republicans stealing the next two elections, and COVID. And not at all worried, concerned, or even be thinking about Inflation, sminflation. So the prices are a little high. So you can't always get deodorant or, you know, toothbrushes. Hey, you'll get it next time. It'll, it'll all work out all right. We're, you know. Well, that's not what's really going on. It was just a survey, uh, done, uh, reported out by the Associated Press. I don't know that they did it. They reported on it. Uh, that found that COVID is no longer the prime thing people are thinking about and worrying about. Now it is the economy, it is inflation and the rising cost of living. It's a funny thing about politicians, they can only um, construct and and deflect and distract for so long. They're very good at it. There's no Hollywood special effects artist with the skills of some of these politicians, but sooner or later you have to believe your own lion eyes, as the saying goes. And so is inflation hitting you in a big way at home or in your business? Because a lot of times it also shows up in the form of the things you need to buy in order to do the business you do or serve the clients you serve. Is it major or minor? That's our question on the JR poll tonight, powered by Stevens Roofing. Meanwhile... Where are we in this Omicron thing? Well, it's starting to look like we may be uh, seeing its peak. This is a, um Associated Press story datelined today. Scientists are seeing signals that COVID-19's alarming Omicron wave may have started to peak in Britain and is about to do the same in the U.S. The variant has proven so wildly contagious that it may already be running out of people to infect just a month and a half after it was first detected in South Africa. Quotes a uh, University of Washington professor is saying it's going to come down as fast as it went up. And the acting head of the FDA told Congress yesterday that Omicron will infect, quote, most people. I can remember when, just weeks ago, if you had said, hey, we're probably all going to get this, or most of us are going to get it, what are you talking about? How dare you? <laughs> the people in charge are saying that now. And we told you yesterday that, I think it was Pfizer, the CEO of Pfizer, announced that they are very close to an Omicron-specific vaccine. Which begs the question... Why are you mandating the vaccine we have on the shelf if the people that make vaccines are saying, "Hey, we're working on a one we're working on one that's specific to this strain." It's very weird, right? 
It's not weird at all if mandates are more about power and less about health. Um, Professor Ehud Himron, who is the head of the Department of Microbiology at Tel Aviv University, one of the leading immunologists in Israel, has written an open letter that is rocking that country tonight. Let me read you just a little bit of what he wrote. So he's one of his nation's leading scientists. And he is attacking the the Israeli government, but really the global management of this pandemic. He says, in the end, truth will always be revealed. And the truth about the coronavirus policy is beginning to be revealed. When destructive concepts collapse one by one, there is nothing left but to tell the experts who led the management of the pandemic, we told you so, he writes. He says, two years late, you finally realize that a respiratory virus cannot be defeated and that any such attempt is doomed to fail. You don't admit it because you have not admitted any mistake in the last two years, but in retrospect, it's clear you have failed miserably in almost all of your actions, and even the media are having a hard time covering your shame. You refused to admit that the infection comes in waves that fade by themselves. Despite years of observation and scientific knowledge, you insist on attributing every decline of a wave solely to your actions. And so through false propaganda, you overcame the plague. And again, you defeated it. And again, and again, and again. You refuse to admit that mass testing is ineffective despite your own contingency plans. You refuse to admit that recovery is more protective than a vaccine, meaning natural antibodies. You insisted on ignoring the fact that the disease is dozens of times more dangerous for risk groups and older adults than for young people who are not in risk groups, despite the knowledge that came from China as early as the beginning of 2020. You refuse to adopt the Barrington Declaration signed by more than 60,000 scientists and professionals or other common-sense programs you chose to ridicule, slander, distort, and discredit them. Instead of the right programs and people, you've chosen professionals who lacked relevant training for pandemic management. Now, he's talking about Israel primarily, but all of this to me sounds like it would equally apply here. He says, you've not set up an effective system for reporting and measuring side effects from the vaccines. And reports on side effects have even been deleted from social media. Doctors avoid linking side effects to the vaccine lest you persecute them, as you did to some of their colleagues. From the height of your hubris, he writes, you have also ignored the fact that in the end, the truth will be revealed. And it begins to be revealed. The truth is that you have brought the public's trust in you to an unprecedented low, and you've eroded your status as a source of authority. You've destroyed the education of our children and their future. You made children feel guilty, scared, smoke, drink, get addicted, drop out, and quarrel, as school principals around the country can attest. You've harmed livelihoods, the economy, human rights, mental health, physical health. I would add to his list even faith communities. I bet you there's a lot of churches that still aren't back to the level of participation and attendance they once were. You slandered colleagues who did not surrender to you. You turned people against each other, divided society, polarized the discourse. I mean, I could read you the whole thing, but it's all of it's fantastic. He concludes this way. 
This is one of Israel's top immunologists venting. He concludes this way. There is currently no medical emergency, but you have been cultivating such a condition for two years now because of lust for power, budgets, and control. The only emergency now is that you still set policies and hold huge budgets for propaganda and psychological engineering instead of directing them to strengthen the health care system. Professor Udi Kimran, Tel Aviv University. Where is he wrong? And how interesting that it sounds word for word like an indictment of our so-called public health system here. And, you know, when I talk to people in the health field, nurses and doctors, one of the things that they really, um, that really frustrates them is that they keep hearing politicians describe what's happening at hospitals to suit the preconception or the agenda of those politicians. So we are we are spending unbelievable, unprecedented amounts of money on health care, but we're not spending it in ways that are recognized as wise by people that actually do the work, that actually see the patients, treat the patients. And to give you just one example, to the extent that any hospital in America is overcrowded or strained, the number one stressor is understaffing, not COVID. COVID's contributing to it, but ask anyone in nursing, and they'll tell you, we don't have enough people, we used to have more. They fired people. They laid people off. They didn't bring them all back. They kept people out because they wouldn't get vaccinated. They're hiring travel nurses from around the country. I've met some travel nurses. They tell you, I mean, I don't hold this against them, but they're making unbelievable amounts of money on these short-term contracts to fill in at places that are understaffed. That wouldn't be necessary if those places were simply staffed to the level they were in 2019. So it's very frustrating to people that work in health to hear the version of their industry that is being spun up by the politicians that he's talking about. He's right. On the JR poll, powered by Stephen Drooping, is inflation a major or minor issue for you? It was not even close. 96% said major 4% 4% minor. New JR poll tomorrow. We'll get started at 4. Find it anytime at KTSA.com. Yes, the inflation numbers for December make this the worst inflation in 40 years. Not since 1982. Not since I was a junior in high school. Not since this lady, this lady had the number one song in America. One of the best things about 1982 was Olivia Newton-John, who'd always had this very... Don, I think you would agree with me on this. She'd always had this very kind of like girl-next-door image, and the songs she sang were usually like that, you know, Young Love and so forth. She does this song here, and this is going to make you laugh if if you don't remember it. People were scandalized. Do you remember? 
people were scandalized that Olivia Newton-John, America's sweetheart, she was Australian, would, would sing, let's get physical. Like, oh, what? She's, she's so wanton. It's so, it's so obvious what she's saying. And the video was like, you know, aerobics, but it's like, we know what she really means. And this, this is what, this, this shocked people in 1982, believe it or not. Don's so shocked, he can't even say anything. So 40 years ago, you have to go back to Olivia Newton-John for this kind of inflation. Yeah, I was just thinking about the video. I, I meant, yeah, they'll stop thinking about it because get your mind out of the gutter. Um, I mentioned this earlier. I, I don't know what I don't really know what to make of this, but according to a recent Gallup survey, Americans are reading fewer books than ever. Ever since they've been measuring this, which goes back, I guess, about thirty years. Last year, the average American, if there is such a thing as the average American, read twelve and a half books over the year. Over the year, and to put that in perspective. That's the fewest books in any of their previous surveys going back to 1990, and that's about three fewer books than they were reading per year as recently as 2016. Now, in fairness, I suppose if people are reading fewer physical books, that could just mean they're reading e-books, right? Do you think that's what it means? Look around. Take a good look around at what's going on, at where we're at. You think it's ebooks? Or, you know, where I'm going with it, you know, the decline in book reading. Anyway, we'll see if we can unravel that tomorrow and solve the rest of the world's problems. We'll be back here at 4 to get underway. New JR poll on 550 and 1071 KTSS.